Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes! 
You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bitter, and I'm so excited to have Samuel T. Herring from Future Islands on today's episode. As you're about to find out, Sam is an absolute gentleman. We get into some of the old jobs he had before the band and during the sort of early days, some personal life lessons he had along the way, and all about how their new record, As Long As You Are, which came out a couple of weeks ago, how it's all about reconciliation and learning from your mistakes and looking forward to a better place. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast as always if you like it you can rate it you can review it you can subscribe but i think the best way to share a podcast is to tell your friends or tell your family so please share it on your whatsapp groups or what have you that would be massively appreciated east london signature brew have been brewing music inspired beers since 2011 they've made beers with mastodon i think that one's nine percent or something stupid slaves idols sports team recently and if you go onto their website signaturebrew.co.uk you can get 10 percent off by using the voucher code 101 podcast at checkout i think that's for uk people only not quite sure i'm going there tomorrow i'll find out all right enjoy yourselves here's samuel t herring from future islands cheers hey sam how you doing i'm good giles how are you doing yeah wonderful how, how was friday night for you i know i had a good time uh friday night was awesome um and it felt it felt really strange but there's a yeah there's something that always happens too just like the day that you release a record i think i was just like giddy all day just so 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 excited to you know share share the art with the world get it out get it out of the system once you once you release a record then you can start writing new songs so then it's like oh we're fresh again I'm a, I'm a fresh baby now. Yeah, fresh, fresh guy. Uh, <laughs> Have you got any traditions when it comes to releasing records? Uh, and nah, we don't really have. I don't. I don't think Future Islands really has any uh, any particular traditions that we do with. I mean, I guess playing a show is the tradition, so we did get to do that. I mean, that that's been this the strange part of all of this, which is just that uh, you know we are supposed to be in the middle of a tour. Um, but uh, but we aren't able to do that. So and, you know, we, we had or- originally not planned on doing any live streaming um, when the pandemic first hit because we we just felt that maybe it would pass and we would save it for when we could hit the road again. But but then, you know, realizing that wouldn't happen, uh, I was really happy that we were able to get the live stream up and running and do something really special because it 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 is a time to celebrate. It's a time to, you know, celebrate all the hard work and and do something for the fans, you know. It Absolutely. And, and I don't know if this is just, I mean, you can tell me if this is just me thinking this, but I felt after a few songs, you could see you get more into it, get, feel comfortable there. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, because I definitely, wa- I watched back and was like, yeah, once it takes, it takes a couple songs. And then I think once, uh, I think we played Dream Third, it, like once Dream hits, then I just like starting to hit the stride again. And even more so like, uh, like look, watching back on the encore, I was like, oh, that's really like, I feel really comfortable here. You know what I mean? Like this feels really, really good because there's, there's no, there's no lights. There's no camera movement. It's just like letting me, let me perform to the, to, to the room, you know? Um, yeah. So, so these kinds of things are, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I mean, I always look back on performances. I watch, I watch like future islands performances, like athletes watch game film, you know, I really? want to see, yeah, I want to I want to see the things that work and the things that don't work and Yeah, makes um, sense. <clears throat> and just get a a sense of like, oh, yeah, that was that was good. 
um, you know, this, 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 this was awesome. So, so it was really fun to, to look back on Saturday and check it out. So, I mean, this year has thrown so many curveballs. It's not even worth saying that putting into words, but what it does make me think of is how long you've been a band and this is your sixth record. And so when did the band start to become your full-time job? Um, well, I guess by 2000 and 2010 was really, 2010 was really when we kind of, uh, we realized that we were going to be able to do this, you know, that, that was, that was the point where we're like, Oh, we, I think we can actually live off of this music thing. But in like 2008 was when we first started hitting the road. Um, but from 2008 to the beginning of 2010. So I would say our first U S tour was July, uh, July, August of 2008. And then we just went on the road for like five years straight. Um, and what were those tours like? Were, were you booking those yourself? Yeah. So William, William booked uh, our, our bass man. He like, he booked the shows until from 2006 and even our band that we, we had before future islands, art Lord and the self portraits. Um, he booked all of those shows and then he booked us until the end of 2010, I think was wow. the last, the last tour that he booked. So like uh, into an evening air and then, we uh, we finally got a booking agent. So, I mean, William actually booked around six or seven hundred shows for Future Islands and Art Lord and the Self Portraits. Um, and, you know, yeah, those early shows, I mean, we were playing, especially like the first U.S. tour. I mean, we were playing to like 10 to 15 people a night um, in places all over uh, all over the U.S. Um, but then again, you know, sometimes we'd roll into like Los Angeles and or New York and, you know, or just some of the bigger cities and you would get to play to like 150, 200 people. And and, you know, it was like those kinds of moments. But I mean, we were making, you know, for for a couple of years, we were probably making anywhere from 30 to one hundred dollars a night as a band, you know, yeah, so wow, it, was, wow. it was not a it was not a. It wasn't like money you split up, you know, it wasn't like, right. here's your $15. It was like, okay, this, all the money just goes to, uh, to the band fund and the band fund pays for gas and it pays for food. And then, uh, you know, and then at the end of the tour, we'll split up if there's anything left. And, you know, I remember doing that for, for, uh, probably 150, 200 shows before we came home from a tour and we're like, whoa, like I made, like, I got like 300 bucks. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah. but, but, but coming back from those tours, we would always be going, you know, straight back to work, straight back to jobs until, until about 20, I mean, well now, cause I mean, 2010, we were on the road. So 2010, we were, we, we, that was when we kind of got to the point where we didn't have to do that. Um, mm. and, and that lasted till about 2012, but then when we took 2013 off to write our album singles, then we all had to go back. Well, I had to go back to work. I think William might've gone back to work. Cause that's I, interesting I, that you've kind of got this kind of, it's, it's, it's like a, a balance in the weight, right? The whole time. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it was funny because, you know, after touring for, you know, from middle of 2008 to the end of 2012, um, you know, we went for you know, making 40 or 50 bucks at the beginning of that to, you know, coming like making, you know, a thousand or $2,000 a show. Mm. Um, but still, still on a small, smaller level, you know, we were still just like touring in like a Chevy Astro van, um, you know, driving ourselves around and all this stuff, selling our own merch, um, making our own merch a lot of times still. Um, wow. 
uh. and these these kinds of things. So so uh, coming, you know, when we when we got off the road in 2012, we like actually had money in the bank, like individually. We had wow. we had saved up some money, so that's why we got off the road and we took the time to write this album. Um, but so I was like, like I've got this money, like. I can live forever. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I, I, it lasted about six months and I was dead broke. Like I just, I never had money in my life, you know? And I was just like, it disappeared so quickly. And then I had to, uh, I had to go back to work. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give any spoilers just yet. Well, I know we're going to get into it. I won't tell you what I was doing. <laughs> But I, but I wonder from a, from a social aspect point of view, you know, having friends and family who are like, oh, you're in a band, you're, you know, there is this rock and roll star thing that, that is just so flippantly kind of, you know, probably not, not outspoken, not, not maybe not even said out loud, but there is this kind of expectation. If you're touring all the time, you're fine. You, you know, you live in it, you know, quote unquote. So did it, is that something that you kind of had an inner battle with yourself? The fact that you were doing it so much, obviously that requires so much self-motivation time, money for practice rooms, van hire, you know, all buying a van. Looking back now, how do you think you navigated that? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's just like anything, you know, any kind of little boost along the way, you know, you may play, like I said, you may play the 20 or 30 shows on a tour and, and, uh, you know, 15 of them are, are like, there's nobody there or, the sound was bad, but, but maybe you had like the f- most fun night, you know, and you're, you're doing it with your buddies, but then you have that, you have that transcendent show you have, you know, you get, you get the chance to finally perform to a big crowd of people and they don't see you as just some uh, scummy band. They're actually, because you came from a different place and because they've never heard of you before and you're putting on a show, they think that you're somebody, you know, they, and they, yeah. they give you that, they give you that feeling that uh, what you're doing means something. And then you get, you know, over time, you start to get the feedback from the fans. You start to get people that you've that you've met uh, at a show are back or you've seen them two or three times or, you know, it's just like all of these. It's all the little things that allow you to keep going to make you think like, uh, like we can do this, you know, um, and it's a little pats on the back. It's the it's the people that who, who come up to you and say, you know, your music really, it means something to me like that. That's the thing that keeps you, that keeps you going. Cause I mean, I've, you know, there's, there were times in 2010 that I wanted to quit. There were times in 2012, I wanted to quit. There were times in 2014, I wanted to quit. And, and, you know, there's a lot of things that we sacrifice out on the road um, and years that we, we don't get back, but but you kind of you choose a path in life and you follow it and you try to have as few regrets as possible. You know? Yeah. And the whole time you're growing up and a big part of growing up is finding your identity or feeling like you have some kind of identity. Oh, yeah, definitely. Was was the band always kind of your identity from from nearly the beginning? Uh, in a in a way. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, when I went off to college, um, you know, I was I was like I was a rapper. That was what I wanted like as a musically. But but uh as a person, I was like, I was an artist and I was an MC. Um, and then being in a band wasn't a thing that I aspired to. It wasn't a thing that I wanted to do. Um, and my first priority was, was, uh, you know, making art and then maybe I would make some music along the way, but I never expected it to be with, uh, with a band. Um, so it was in my identity at that point was, 
was pretty pretty strong like i'm a visual artist and i rap and yeah. that's what i do um so it would be yeah. it would be a few years before i felt like like uh kind of comfortable as because even the first the first band that we started was was uh began more as a performance art piece um than a band and then people really liked the band so we kept doing yeah. it you know and then <laughs> and then and then when that band ended uh it felt like a hole in my heart it felt like a hole in my person you know it was like this thing that i've been doing for two and a half years um is is done and i feel like i don't know what i'm supposed to do now you know um, and you must have remembered a time when being in a band didn't involve having everything on the internet mm -hmm. so how did you adapt to that uh i mean i don't know if we adapted well it was we're kind of so with the the time that we came up is was a real transitional period of uh of yeah the world kind of going like i remember our buddy herbie uh who's a singer in this group valiant thor who's another like uh, rock and roll band from greenville north carolina um and they had you know they were when we got to school they were the band um, and then they graduated out, out of graduate school. Um, Herbie and Tyler were both like amazing painters. And, um, and so they graduated out of school and they went off and they hit the road hard. And, uh, one of the really cool things after a few years of, uh, we were doing art Lord, Herbie basically like, uh, offered his black book of phone numbers to William. Cause William was booking book shows. Fuckinglife.com. Yeah, exactly. And was like, you know, this, these are numbers you can call and you can call these and you can get, you can just book shows over the phone. And William's like, this is crazy. Um, cause <laughs> William was booked, like William booked a ton of shows through MySpace. you know, back in the day you do yeah. show, show trades, you like find a band in a city and like, Hey, you guys sound cool. Like, could you want to play a show with us? And then you can come to Baltimore and play a show here and you know, we'll play with you or whatever. So like these kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> but we definitely, you know, I, we weren't we weren't young enough to catch on to the fact that you can just do everything kind of through the Internet. But we Gen also Z. we weren't old enough to know exactly how to figure it out because it was like the old way because it was kind of a dying way. Yeah. Um, so we we're really navigating it at a weird time um, and just trying to figure it out, which which in a way, I mean, looking back, I think it was helpful because we learned a lot um you know and we because we learned a lot we were able to kind of grow a little bit more organically as a band um and and, and as artists and not feel the pressure as much because because i mean we really felt like we were in our own world until until 2014 i mean uh with with the letterman performance that really broke us to a larger part of the world but before that i mean we were just like an underground band who was doing it and we knew that people cared about what we did and we were selling some records but but uh we were kind of happy just being these underdogs you know um and just doing it in the underground doing it kind of like this is the old school way of doing things um yeah and having that feeling but uh but yeah we also were we're seeing we were getting eclipsed very quickly by bands that were much younger than us because they knew they like <laughs> had grown up in this in the just a completely different universe and we're just like oh man i think we I think we're doing this wrong <laughs> for, for a lot, you know, through my, through my late or until I was probably about 29 from like 23 to 29, it just felt like, are we doing this all wrong? Like, I don't even know. And that's um, a strange period of time for living anyway. Yeah, that's true. Even if you, you know, even if you do have a kind of 
I don't know. I, I'm 29, and I've definitely questioned myself in the in the in the last year a lot less than you know my early 20s. My early 20, you know, it's a fucking train wreck sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like the way you think about yourself and trying to figure out what oh, yeah. you're doing, comparing yourself to other people. You know, like being like, what is going on here? You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that you know, it's not only. I mean, really, it says it says a lot about me and William and Garrett's friendship to push through because you know we were when Future Islands began. We started with a drummer um who was with us for about a year and a half and then when we moved to Baltimore shortly before we moved started moving to Baltimore he quit the band and we tried to get another drummer and it just didn't happen and uh we had a we had a temporary drummer for a minute like for like three months before our first U.S. tour and then he quit the band like two weeks before the tour happened and so Garrett just had to go and uh make beats for all the songs like these songs that we you know because because garrett was already using uh reason uh which is the program that he uses to build drums and and uh keys still with future islands so he was he was already doing that with his solo music but uh so when when our drummer quit we're like uh garrett looks like you gotta just uh go to work uh get to work garrett and he was just like <laughs> what the fuck like, I'm a, like i mean that just shows how much is riding on all of you just to make it happen, you know? It's just- yeah, exactly. But, beca- but because of that, I mean, because of that tour, so that we went off on the road with these new beats that we had never performed over. And it felt really very strange um, for, for a couple weeks. And then it kind of got a little more, it felt a little better. You know, it took us a while to like get comfortable and then like play off of these mechanical style electronic beats. But then after that, I mean, we were like, cool. It's just the three of us. We don't need a drummer. We can just keep going. And I mean, we toured as a three piece from, from yeah, uh, middle of 2008 till the beginning of 2014. So, so that those were our most formative years as a band. Um, and because of that, it allowed us to travel extremely light to have one less mouth to feed, um, to, to just, you know, cause me, William and Garrett moved to Baltimore with that with that uh shared dream and that shared vision of like making this band uh, a reality like making it a thing that is our lives and and once we kind of were like well it's just the three of us now um it was kind of it felt good because we all trusted one another um in that so so those long drives and sleeping on dirty floors every night for months um it was like we are doing this together and we all want the same thing and and uh and yeah, but you know, you always have your ups and downs and your question, you question things like bouts with homesickness and feeling away from things. But, but, uh, I think, I think you fight with that when you're just working a nine to five as well. Like, what am I doing? So absolutely. absolutely. It's just a part of life. Working with the drum machine. Did that open up the vision to the sound, to the music, to where it could go? You definitely. Well, it, it just, uh, it's kind of like you were saying, it just kind of put it more in our own court. Um, it allowed us to to uh, take a little bit more time to write, um, mm. take a little bit more time to think. And uh, and the, I mean, the thing was like Art Lord and the Self-Portraits, our first band was built around a Yamaha keyboard that ran all of the drums. So we so we came from we came from uh from a band that didn't have a drummer. And then we started future islands with a drummer and then we kind of went back to it. So we, we, in a sense, we learned, we were learning like for me in particular, um, you know, I was, my stage presence was much more vibey with the, the electronic drums in our first band. And then 
we got a drummer and all of a sudden we became like a punk band. And so my performance became very raw and aggressive and more, yeah, just more propulsive. Like the drums really like pushed me forward in a whole new way. And then the drums got taken away. And so then I'm like, how do I, how do I keep pushing without this force pushing me forward? Like, like mm-hmm. without the force mm-hmm. of drums behind me, actually pushing me, how do I continue to, to, uh, to do this. So that was part of it. But, um, so yeah, at, uh, 2000, so in 2008, going on those first tours, we did four months of touring. And then when we got back from that, uh, we started to write what would become our second album, uh, in evening air, which was for us a really defining moment, um, of our sound of our, our new sound. Uh, it was the first time that me, William and Garrett wrote as a focus three piece. Um, you know, to that point, um, was it a given that you were going to do a second album? Was it, was it, did, did you have to kind of decide, you know, are we carrying on this band or was it like, we're, yeah, we're definitely going to do this, obviously. Well, I mean, when I moved to Baltimore, part of me moving to Baltimore wasn't like, uh, it wasn't a band move. I just mean like, it wasn't like, uh, we're going to move to Baltimore. I just, I called William one day and said, Hey man, like I'm, I'm tired of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, I, I basically, I want to, I want to make music and I'm tired of waiting for future islands to do something. So I'm going to move to Baltimore and I'm going to start a new band, um, and, and go after this. And then William was like, dude, that's what I want to do. And I was like, cool, we can start a band together. (laughs) So then me and so William, William actually beat me up to Baltimore by about three or four months. And then I moved up. And when I got there, uh, we started talking to Garrett about him moving up and then, and then Garrett, he was, uh, he was in a long-term relationship at that point. And then they split up and then we kind of, yeah, Garrett was miserable and we convinced him to move to Baltimore. So in the end, what happened was, is, uh, yeah, we ended up all, the three of us ended up being in Baltimore. Um, and we went after this thing. I mean, we, we literally had a meeting, I've talked about this in interviews before, but we literally had a meeting where it was like, I, I've said to the guys, like, I want to do this thing. I want to, I want to go after this, this band and make it real. Do you guys want to do that? And, and, and they were like, I want that. I want that. So, so we kind of made, uh, we, we like, yeah, we just came clean and said, this is what we all want. Let's go after it. Um, so that was, that, that was like a real, and, and having that, uh, that element of kind of a shared vision and that element of trust in that vision that we are all in the same place, that we all want the same thing. was, it was a huge part of the success uh, and, and our ability to, to kind of push forward um, with this band in those, in those early, early years. What was your life like in Baltimore day to day, not, you know, off tour? Uh, well, so when I moved when I moved uh, to Baltimore, I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, in the mountains uh, of North Carolina before that. And uh, I had worked, I was working at a concrete shop in Asheville, um, fabricating concrete countertops and sinks, um, wow. and then some other crazy projects like chimney caps and stuff. Um, Light beautiful, work. <laughs> beautiful, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful work. Heavy, heavy duty work. Um, and and I, my boss, when I told him that I was leaving, he was kind of bummed because I was I'd been with him for a little while and, and, uh, you know, I was doing well at the shop, but I, you know, I told him I was moving to Baltimore and asked him if he knew anybody that, 
did this kind of work in Baltimore. And he was like, uh, actually, I met a guy at a conference who who uh, has a concrete studio in Baltimore, a really nice guy. Um, you know, I can set you up with him. So so I when I moved to I moved to Baltimore up in January 2008. Um, and uh, and yeah, I had a I had a. Uh, what job interview, like my second day in town. And then, uh, and then I got the job. So I, I pretty much went immediately to work, uh, in February of it's cause the, so the funny thing is, is it was like, uh, so when I moved to Baltimore, I went up and we were going to do a two week tour. And then after the two week tour, I was just going to sleep on the, on the couch at Williams house until I could, you know, get a, you know, get a place of my own to stay. So, so I went up there and did like a three or four day rehearsal with the guys. Garrett came up and, and like one of these temporary drummers. And uh, while I was there for the three or four day rehearsal, that's when I, that's when I did the job interview. And then, so I, I, I went on tour for two weeks and the, the day after I got back from tour, I had to go to work. It was a Monday morning. Wow. So I just, I just went to work and worked. I was working at this concrete shop for, I mean, I worked there on and off from 2008 up until, I mean, the last time I worked there was 2014 even. So I was like, I was pretty, I was pretty much full time um, until 2009. And then I was kind of a part time worker. And then it got to a point where <laughs> I was coming home in like 2012 and 2013 and calling my old boss and being like, do you need a hand in the shop? And he's like, nah, you know, no, but you can go on this job with me and just like the nicest, it was really like the nicest boss I ever had. This is a great guy. Um, this shop called Luke works. Um, and, uh, Mark would seriously just, he would, uh, put me in the, he would have to deliver and install some, some concrete countertops and would put me in the, put me in the truck and I would drive around with him for a day and barely do anything. I basically just talked to him while he did all the work. And then he would give me a hundred bucks at the end of the day. And and then, and then just look at me with really sad eyes and be like, call me in a couple weeks if you need some more work. And I'm like, thanks Mark. Yeah. He was, he's a really good guy. He, I mean, honestly that uh, he, he kind of saved me at the end there. Um, you know, cause, cause I, I didn't really know, what was going to happen. I mean, there, there's so many other stories in here. Like I had, you know, I had major knee surgery in 2010. Um, and I just couldn't work. And so I, I couldn't work. I couldn't tour. Um, I was just laid up in bed and then how long know, for, well, I was only in bed for like through for like two weeks, but, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I was an ACL reconstruction. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. so, I mean, I was, I was out of commission for a while, but I mean, honestly, we went on tour, I think two and a half, three months after I had ACL reconstruction. You can find pictures from that time and I'm wearing a full, like a, like a full leg brace, um, on my leg because, because yeah, I was, I was still doing physical therapy like while on the road. And was that okay with insurance and everything? What in, I'm American. I don't have insurance. What are you right, talking about? Well, right. I mean, I don't know, but it seems to me this. I don't know. You know, grew up watching Jackass, and you look back and you're like, wow, what are those? What were those people doing? You know. But if you hurt yourself, if you hurt your leg, I mean, how? Yeah. How did you? How do you deal with that? Uh, I mean, I didn't have. That's kind of the thing is I didn't have. Uh, I I didn't have a choice. You know, it was either yeah. it was either go out on the road and and and. Uh, make some money so that I can live or give up 
the dream. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm. we just have to go on the road. Um, we have to, f- we have to figure this out. I'll just try to jump around less. Um, that didn't really work, but, and at some point, at some point on probably like three months into touring, I like lost the full leg brace because part of, part of injuring or, uh, part of injuring your ACL or getting a reconstruction or whatever is, uh, the, the mental aspect of it. It's the psychological, mm. like, uh, thinking that you're, you're going to do something and then your leg is going to be in complete pain again and, or Mm -hmm. you're going to fall over or whatever. So, so just like getting back to the mental point where you believe you can do the things that you can do. Um, So then once I, I was terrified to go without the leg brace and then I lost it probably just like drunk somewhere. I probably took it off and was like waving it around or something and just left it at a bar. I don't know what happened to it, but then I had to, I had to very quickly, uh, yeah, get very comfortable that my leg was just going to have to be what it was. But I mean, you know, I tore my ACL again in 2015. So, so I, I've been without that wow, again wow. for uh, yeah five years touring, um, and stuff. So what other stories from, from working? I mean, you mentioned earlier, you, you teased a, a job that I don't know anything about this, by the way. And that your PR didn't say anything to me about any particular surprise jobs you had, but you kind of hinted at <laughs> no. the one earlier. No, I just, I didn't know where I was going to start. I mean, I've only, you know, I've, I've had the very normal, normal jobs in my life. So when I dropped out of college, you know, that was always the agreement with my, with my parents for both me and my older brother. It was like, and I, and I knew that it was true because my older brother went through it was that if you dropped out of school, then, then you have to, then I, you aren't getting any money, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like that, you know, that hundred dollars a week or two hundred dollars a week for for like food and rent disappears um, if you if you aren't in college. So when I dropped out of school, I mean, I kind of got kicked out of school, but I kind of dropped out. Um, uh, they were going to kick me out if I didn't drop out, basically. Because um, you just weren't really doing the assignments, or yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I wasn't going to class, so they didn't like that. Um, <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, when I dropped out of school, I my first my first like real, real job, I was uh, I worked at a sandwich shop. Uh, it was called the Met Deli. It was in Greenville, North Carolina. And I basically was a dishwasher and a sandwich maker. And I did like, you know, some preps. I would prep like some of the soups and, you know, just like that is good life skill and... to make a good sandwich is a, a true skill. <laughs> this is true. And I did get, I had food, which was a key, a key component. <laughs> there was always food that I didn't have to worry about, Love that. <clears throat> but that job was really, it was really weird and dark. And at that time I had, I had bad drug problems and I was also selling drugs. And then at the same time I was, does that count as a job? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, on, on this podcast, kind of, yeah. <laughs> at this, at the same time, my, I started to realize that my boss, uh, who was, you know, probably mid late forties guy who will, you know, was recently married and had a small child. Like he was then, uh, you know, using drugs. And then he was buying drugs for me. And then I was like, what am I? And I'm making $6 an hour to, to anyways, I was just like, what the, what am I doing here? Like, this is the darkest, saddest place. I'm like at a, working at a sandwich shop in a strip mall that no one comes to. And my boss is like, blow, like blowing his life away. Um, and this is really sad. So, yeah. so it was just like, 
it was really dark. I'm like, what, what am, what am I doing? Cause I, yeah, I, you know, I went from being two year, two and a half years before I was like, I'm going to be a great artist. And then I'm like, I'm going to be a, a great musician. And then now I'm like making sandwiches and washing dishes. And, and uh, my boss is taking me off the clock while I go get him a bag of weed. And I'm like, you, could you at least leave me on the clock while I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> asshole. And I imagine when you're doing something like that, it's quite easy to slip into that thing where you're, you know, it's the looking glass theory. You're, you're seeing yourself how you might think other people are seeing you in that particular moment. Well, that's that's actually, a, yeah, that is an interesting point. I mean, I think the people I was most worried about the way they saw me were the people that I was actually working with. Because I was just like, I do all this other cool stuff. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't really understand. But I mean, I ended up, I ended up leaving that job and getting a job at a really nice restaurant as a dishwasher. But the funny part was, is I went from being like one of a group of humans who were all on drugs and even at work to being the one guy who was on drugs in the dish room of this place. But the thing is, if you've ever worked in restaurants, then you know that they're full of like drugs and alcoholism. And uh, mm. there's just like, there that that like crazy chef thing is a real thing uh in a lot of ways um or at least that that stereotype makes itself real but so i ended up working at this restaurant and i was like the sole dishwasher and uh you know i was eating filet mignon off people's plates you know that they would send back that they you know only ate half or like like eating shrimps and french fries and and whenever the bartender who was my buddy whenever he'd mess up a drink he would put it on my little shelf in the back for like my like after work drinks. Um, but I mean, they were there. So I was sipping on them. Of course. So I was just yeah. like, you know, and, and it was just, it was such a weird, it was such a weird time. Cause then I became, then I like really became the dishwasher and it was like, this is my little room and I reign over it. Like <laughs> you must ask before you can pass through here. You know, yeah. I was like, it gave me a little bit more, uh, <laughs> station <laughs> I, I had my own station in life um but still you know i was i was battling i was battling with these drug problems yeah, i just had problems with cocaine and uh couldn't stop and you know i i also realized that too i was like you know being a dishwasher leads to either dr like heavy drug abuse or psychosis and i was mm. on i was like on my way um how did you get out of that then I just, I kind of had a mental break one day. And uh, so w there was a day I'd been working there for about six months. Um, I've been working there about six months. I had, let's see, I was about to go on a tour. I was about to go on tour with Future Islands. Um, and I was talking to my boss. He came, it was like the end of a Friday night. Um, so we were, we were going late. Um, and, uh, he's all the kitchens kitchens all done all cleaned up and i'm just doing the last bit of dishes in the dish room and uh he comes in to talk to me about the fact that i've been late a lot and you know this is like i'm late for a job that starts at like 5 p.m you know what i mean i'm like hey like i'm i'm going on tour soon and i just want to be sure that i'm gonna have a job when i get back and he's like well actually you aren't um like you're not gonna have a job and i was like oh for real like what like, what are you talking about? And at the same time as this is happening, my I'd split up with the girl I was dating um, maybe two or three months before. But she had she had. Uh, so we split up and and then she 
at the same time, like after we split up, she became best friends with the the chef's uh, wife, who they were the, they were about the same age. Like this, uh, my partner that this my ex partner was uh, nine years older than me. Um, so I'm like 21, she's 30 and, and the chef's wife is like her age. And I had always told her like, you guys should be friends. Like, she's really cool. Uh, maybe you guys would get along. And then she never talked to this person until after we split up, then they become best friends. So she's hanging at the bar. So as, as my boss is telling me that I am not going to have a job and I'm, I'm thinking about how I don't have any money. Um, I don't have a job now very soon. Um, you know, within a week. Um, I just hear my par- my ex-partner just cackling at the bar. And it was just like everything was in slow motion, just like, no, you won't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, my whole world is spiraling. And the whole thing was oh, like, man. so that night, like I had spent my last 50 bucks that I had on my person. I probably had like, you know, 30 bucks in my bank account, 50 bucks on my person. Um I had called called a dealer and had him meet me in the parking lot and I you know got got a bag of coke and and I'm I'm I haven't touched it yet it's been in my pocket for 2 hours cuz I'm I'm already going through something like I'm already feeling miserable I'm feeling in the depths and then I'm finding this out you won't have a job you like your your ex-girlfriend is torturing your life at the bar that you work at at this fancy restaurant and uh and uh, on my way home, so I drove home. Uh, these lights were flashing behind me in the car. Like I'm, um, so I pull over towards my house, and uh, this car pulls up behind me. And, and I look at my side. I roll down my window and look at my side mirror because I, I don't know what's happening. I'm like, what is this? A cop? What is going on? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's my buddy. My buddy runs up to my window. He's like, Hey, Sam, how you doing, man? What did, what's going on? What's going on? Where are you coming from? And I'm just like what's up T like, I just got off work, dude. And he's like, he's like, Hey man, do you have any coke? You're like, like, I'm just trying to get a little something. And I just like reached in my sock and handed him this bag. And I was like, you can just take, take it, just have it. <laughs> and he he was like, Oh shit. What do, what do I owe you? And I was like, just, you can just have it, just have it. And so he, he just was like, thanks. And jumped in his car and just like peeled out. <laughs> Sam, it's been a total pleasure hearing these stories. And I wish we could talk more. Oh um, no, is this it? This is it. I've got to, I've got this. I'm late for this meeting that I've already got. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Unless you want to carry it on in, in, in an hour. Yeah, let's carry Let's carry on in an hour. Cause cool. I, right. I got to finish this story. Brilliant. I'll see you in an hour then. Same link. All right, cool. Yeah, same Sam, link. thank you so, so much. All right, peace, brother. But I know basically what happened was, is I gave away this bag and then I went home and I was having a total meltdown mind crisis. Um, I took a shower. I went and met uh, William and Garrett at a party that was going on. This is by this point, it was like, cause I got off work like a one in the morning, probably like two 30. I met the guys at a party. I told them that I was having, I like, I was having a breakdown basically and I have a bad drug problem and I need to go home and see my parents and basically like ask them, is it okay? Um, and they're like, yeah, of course it's okay. <laughs> like you, like we know that you have a problem. So I went home, I went back to my folks house and, uh, slept in my, you know, my childhood bed and, uh, woke up and told them that I had a bad drug problem. So they helped me and they helped me get clean. I just stayed there for a couple of weeks and got, that is up so and- brave. Yeah, well, it was also it. Well, might have been brave, but also my parents are 
you know, they, they had allowed themselves to be that for me. Like, uh, you know, not, I, I don't know if I always felt comfortable to share that, but at that point I knew that I had to share and that they would be there for me and that, and they were, so they, they helped me get, they helped me get, uh, cleaned up. And then, uh, basically I went on that tour that I said I was going to go on, you know, and then, uh, I, I lived out of my van for about six months. And around the same time I was starting to date somebody who lived uh, far away. Um, and then we moved up to Asheville together and that's where I had my job. I was a Domino's pizza guy, um, Brilliant. Domino's pizza driver. <laughs> and I got really big. I like swelled up a lot. Like I'm, I'm about, uh, what, uh, I'm like, 90 kilos right now but i think when i was at domino's i was probably like 105 110 kilos yeah i was just eating pizza all the time and sitting on uh, sitting around driving yeah i was just like pizza, pizza and beer two of the best things are also the things that really really get to you they get to me certainly. they they live on your body for years <laughs> they just stay there you never get rid of it but uh but yeah so so that was i mean uh, yeah, that's just kind of the sum. It was kind of funny though, because when I moved to Asheville, I moved there with my partner. We were completely broke. Uh, and it was one of those things where it was like, I have to get a job right now. So I was like, tomorrow I'm going to go out and I'm going to go to every pizza joint that I can until I can get a delivery job. Cause I know that I can just have money in my hand. Basically. And Asheville and Greenville, I played a gig once. It was, it was like a house show where one of the acts was a, like a circus freak show. And it was it was awesome, but when we were hanging out there, it, it, they they seem like quite desolate towns. Um, well, Greenville is Asheville's more of a, it's kind of a hippie like lip, super okay. liberal hippie community. Um, so it's it has a little bit more culture, but it's a different culture. Greenville was just like you know college college ta- like the epitome of a college town, and uh, you know a. Um, a, like a drunk tank, like a living drunk tank, <laughs> just like nothing to do, but get wasted. Um, so yeah, very, very different kinds of places. But, um, but that's where like my brothers lived in Asheville for years. So I kind of moved up there to be at a place where I was a little bit closer to family, but very far from the city I lived in where I had all these issues, you know, like I couldn't mm. go back. And that's part of the reason that we moved to Baltimore because, we couldn't decide on a place to live in North Carolina. Cause I was, I was kind of too scared to be near Greenville. Cause I knew that if I got a urge in the middle of the night, then I would, I would literally drive two hours to go get drugs, you know? So I had to, I had to literally be six hours away from Greenville so that I wouldn't, so that, that, that just took that off the table. Like I, I couldn't do that. Like I needed to be far away, but at the same time we were trying to keep this band together so that that's kind of the reason why when we moved up to Baltimore, uh, uh, prior to moving to Baltimore, I was really feeling like the band wasn't going to happen. Like it was kind of done because I couldn't be near enough to the guys where they lived and they worked. And, you know, William was still in school um, to to make this thing work in a way. Um, and then and then, I you know, when I said I wanted to move, William, I guess, was already thinking about it and and uh, things things kind of worked out, but I, you know, I only lived in Asheville for a year and, you know, it was a big healing year, but it was definitely like the biggest creative drought that I've had in my life, like to this, in my whole life to this point, you know? Um, and it's a town full of creative people, but it's like, everybody is so stoned that it would be like, you'd be at the bar and, uh, and you would 
talk to a friend and be like, yeah, we should get together and, and like make some music. And then you never hear from them again because <laughs> they just like forgot the conversation that they had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, well, and so, yeah, I had to get to a place like Baltimore was happening with so many friends of ours who were, uh, you know, our, our good friend, Dan Deacon was starting a whole thing in Baltimore and, and uh, was really pushing for us to get up there. And and we just saw them, you know, we saw all of these people that we knew from the road and friends we had made uh, on tour and traveling through um, doing the thing we wanted to do, you know, stanks, you know, being on the road in their vans, like constantly and making something happen, putting out records like that's what we wanted to do. Having that community seems so important where you see other people doing it. And it's and it is like, a, yeah, I want to be part of that. Was it a case of that, do you think? Yes, definitely. I mean, not only is it important to to have that kind of community to be because uh, like in in when we were in North Carolina, um, you know, there's a lot of creation. But at the same time, um, there's not a lot of a spotlight there. I think I think there is now. I think the North Carolina scene has really changed since we were there. Like I feel it being much more of a community driven space where people share more and they support each other more. But when we were coming up, we just got made fun of all the time because, really? because it was, you know, it was kind of like a rock and roll. It's a, it's a guitar state, you know, and we were, we were playing with keyboards and people just thought we were a joke. And, and that was hard for us. I mean, we were like 19 year old kids and just getting, uh, just getting uh, demolished in the local papers. <laughs> you know, how to describe you as a band, I would say, you know, you're the kind of band that might be featured on, pitchfork or stereo gum but that doesn't do it justice at all you know i mean there are loads of bands that are featured on those sites obviously but there it doesn't seem like there ha- there's like one particular place for you you know which is a wonderful thing as a fan but i wonder if that's hard at being on the other side of it well it's hard it's hard coming up but at this point it feels you know you you like if you survive that feeling then you gain a lot of pride in that you know like being able to feel uh being able to feel like a ship against the wind um, instead of instead of like, like I said, you like playing into models or playing into trends or I mean, that was our, our whole thing always was, you know, we this is what we this is the kind of music we make. This is our sound and we're going to to stick with it. You know, it doesn't really ma- like like the thing is, if, if you're trying to follow trends or follow um, kind of what's happening in music, you're always going to be behind. You either have to you, you kind of have to create blindly. Um, if you're moving forward, you have to create really just like from yourself and, and believe in what you're doing and, and innovate that way or do what you know and what you love and do it honestly. And I think we're, we're definitely more in that camp of like, this is what we do. This is who we are. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's going to find the people that it needs to find. But, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to not get that, uh, that kind of championing when you're when you're young because you don't really know what you're you're doing you just kind of yeah you're just kind of blindly going for it um and believing in this thing but um but uh yeah i mean i I don't know yeah we've never (laughs) we've never really fit into anyone's like categories of what works uh for music or what's like hot in music um and honestly, that really, yeah, that bothered us when we were 26, 27 and, and just like really wishing that someone would give us a platform to reach more people. But, but like I was saying before, like by the time we were 29 years old, we were, we realized that we were doing this. We made, we made it, we made it the hard way and we did it on our own. And because of that, 
you know, we grew really organically. And, you know, I found myself being very envious as a 26, 27 year old of other bands that were getting these leg legs up. And then I saw bands get completely swallowed by media cycles, like groups that got, um, you know, put to the top, like this is the next big thing only to be torn down a couple years later. And this is the kind of thing that, that uh, hindsight gives you. Um, mm. But also finding myself at 29, seeing this happen to other groups, other groups that I, you know, and, and being disgusted with my own envy. Um, looking back, I was like, well, you know, maybe it was good that we didn't get the press and we didn't get the the appreciation because it really made us fight for what we made it made us understand what we were doing it made us appreciate what we what we gained um and not take for granted like the people that have supported us along the way and all of these things and i mean it really allowed us to get to this point you know i think i think if we'd have had uh, certain moments, certain opportunities earlier on, we might have squandered them. Or you've been able, you've been able to be yourself. I mean, I think that's exactly. that's something that I get from you on stage. It's a wonderful thing. I don't know. I think of my partner, and I think of my best friends, and I think of these are people who, from you know, for whatever reason, from the moment I met them, I was just myself. And there's that wonderful feeling that comes with that. And I think that it can it can be a hard thing to get through, especially in your twenties, but. When you do it, there's so much joy that comes from that. And you can't regret that. You can't regret being yourself. No. Well, that's the whole that's the whole idea, I think, with this last record for us, which was finding self again and finding each other um, as a group and being like, uh, kind of like, like we were saying, coming to terms with... Uh, Coming to terms with success in a different way. Um, coming to terms with uh, the fact and, and speaking about the way everything has kind of changed, but how like where we are now, um, because because those friendships, you know, uh, friendships change. Um, but but it is really crazy. Like we've done me, Wayne and Garrett in particular have done so much together for so many years, like seen the world together. Um, and there was a point like in 2016 and 2017 where we really didn't kind of like lost track of who we were, even though we were together, like. 50 to 60% of the time, because we're just on the road or in the studio all the time, you also get to that point where you're, you're not communicating. Um, mm -hmm. And and the mm -hmm. thing about writing songs, if you're writing songs for, for, uh, it, it, well, if you're writing songs for yourself, you're always going to appreciate those songs. And those songs are going to, they're going to really mean something. And it's going to mean something when you share them with people. Um, and when you're writing for, if you're trying to write for an audience, you, you can really lose yourself um, and lose that appreciation. But but I, I really believe in that kind of sincerity and honesty in the writing process because because it does it does make it something that grows with you. It's not only written down, but it it, it grows with your life. And I'm really just realizing how, in a way, like Future Islands records are are not just like singular records, but they do grow into um, this story of really our lives of, of like the way that we, the things that we are going through, the things we've been through and the way that the stories change, you know, like the stories, the stories keep going. It's not just written in a song. It's written in another song. And then it continues on in another song. And, and we keep, because these are, it, it's really pulled from our lives. So we're changing with, with the music. I saw somebody, somebody's uh, like a tweet that somebody put out that was like, Future Islands new album is great, but it's like when I think of Future Islands albums, it's just like one big album and I love it. And it is like 
that's and I I, I I never really thought about that, but it really I mean, it was it was reading that that kind of made me realize how, you know, um, how the canon is the, the body of work is it's all it's it is all one. Um, and it, 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 because it is our lives, you know, it's not, uh, it's, uh, it's so personal. It's so deeply personal. Um, do you think that, ha- you know, having a team around you, having the, you know, the big indie label and, and, and having this, well, yeah, that this team around you, ha- have you been able to adapt to that in the way that you can kind of block that out and then get down to your purest form of, of writing? How have you learned to deal with, you know, the business side of that? Luckily, 4AD is awesome. And they, you know, when they signed us, it was basically like, we've been monitoring you for a while. And um, you guys have, we've been watching you. Um, And they were, yeah, I mean, the the whole thing with 4AD was they were like, you guys have already built it. We don't have to do the extra work. You know, Um, we don't have to we don't have to like form a story around you or try to push you. We're just, our, our job is just, we just want to give you a bigger platform. That's the ideal situation, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, just to be like, you guys just keep doing what you do, um, which is all we want to hear, you know, just being able to be free to, to create the way we want to create. And so, so they've always, yeah, they've always given us that, uh, that freedom and appreciated what we've, we've brought to them. Um, but also, you know, like it, it gets scary with labels. Like I, I see other people fighting with contracts and things. And, and a big thing is, you know, when, when you sign with a record label, uh, you get a big advance and a lot of people that like young artists don't know that it's an advance. It's not free money (laughs) and you and they spend that advance and then they say can we get some money so we can go in the studio and it's like but that's what the advance was um and then what you get is you find yourself in a loan shark situation where (laughs) where you owe money to a label that says well we need a hit now so because you owe us all this money being a band that didn't ever have that financial backing we we always made things on our own and you know like singles was self uh was paid for like we we got we actually got the advance for that record after the record came out because really? we, we didn't want it we didn't want the advance you know we didn't want to be in debt to anyone we didn't want to have that hanging over our heads um, but also you know we made that I mean that record was given to 4AD when it was done and it was kind of like this is the record that Future Islands is going to be putting out do you want to put it out do you want to be involved um, and you know luckily that all worked out but brilliant but just to say you know. Um, taking the, because of the time and because of the way we had to do things, the way we learned that you have to do things, we just, uh, we, yeah, we learned a lot and learned about, um, kind of, kind of just not being in anyone's pocket. I mean, that's a hard thing in the, in the art world because artists struggle like in all forms, you know, we struggle and we need help sometimes. I mean, if, if anything right now, all artists really need help, um, you know, just because of, what this is, what the pandemic has done for so many people. I mean, everybody needs help right now. Um, it's really intense, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, just because of the way that things happen, we learned, we learned a lot. And the more, you know, um, in any field that you're in, the, the better off you are, the more you can learn, um, you know, about, about situations. Cause you know, I, I can't, I can't even tell you how many people, you know, kind of come at you once, 
once you have a good thing happening, that's when people want to help you out. It's not when you're, when you really need help. <laughs> it's, it's when, uh, it's when everything is going really good that people come out of the woodwork and say, this is what I can do for you. And it's like, well, you're late. Um, <laughs> were you all on the sort of same page with that did you uh, did you deal with that quite well do you think i mean were you communicating with the others in the band and you know when 4id came along and when everything happened for you and the, and the letterman thing yeah i mean i think so i mean we were really i was i mean the way that we made singles is to say how confident we were in what we had to offer um you know putting down big money for the first time to go into a real studio to make a record that had no record label. You know, it was like mm. we were taking a really big chance and putting all of our chips on the table to, to uh, follow this up. And, and, in a, and it worked, I mean, in the bigger sense of just like finding a bigger label, um, getting, uh, have, having a moment. I mean, we expected things to really grow just organically larger by stepping to 4AD, we didn't know that we'd have like a viral moment um, that would mm. that would propel it even quicker. But it was, but it took a long time to adapt. I mean, even up until, uh, I mean, really, the making of this record was us finally coming to terms with the fact of how everything had really changed for us um, from 2014 to 2017, and we never really even dealt with it. You know, we never, we never talked about it with each other. Not that I've been in that position, but it's just so easy to not talk about anything sometimes, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that was that was the thing, though, was we really, we kind of all lost ourselves in all the bigger stuff. And it's, you know, it's something that I learned because of the pandemic and because of the way we made this record, which is that, uh, you know, I have issues with anxiety um, and, and with with like touring all the time and all this stuff, a lot of times you get, you get these emails and these asks, uh, whether it's press or new press photos or like music videos and all this stuff. And, and you're in the middle of a tour that's been going on for six, seven, 12, 14 months. And you're like, could someone else just make this decision? Like, I can't, I don't have the mental capacity to do this. And, and I found that through this, uh, through this process of making this record, a lot of it was about us taking kind of responsibility for our actions for, for uh, it was about us. And for me personally, really reading every single detail, thinking about it, making a decision that I stand behind and whether or not, whether or not I, my decision and what I think is right carries through, at least I took the time to make a decision instead of telling someone else to, because what happens is you tell somebody else to make the decision. Then you feel badly that you're not actually taking the time. Then you have anxiety that that person is going to make a decision that you do not like that you then have to follow through on. And you never even, if you just, if I just would have sat there and actually thought about what needed to be done, um, I, I would be happier. And, and so I found through this process and, you know, going going through this album rollout in the midst of a pandemic where we can't tour and we can't do all these things. It's, you know, me and the guys are like, we'll do anything you need. You know, we'll do as much media. We'll answer the emails. We'll talk about all of these things that usually we would put off. And it's it's made me feel so much less anxious. Like I'm not I'm not stressing out and I'm and I'm feeling more confident about decisions and I'm feeling more part of the process. So so actually doing more work is making me feel is making me feel a lot better. You know, it's making me feel like I'm 
that I'm uh, that I'm a part of it. And and I feel I feel guilty that I didn't feel that way before that I didn't work harder. But but, you know, you have to live and learn and figure these things out. And that's a really positive message for people listening to the record as well. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. I think take, you know, taking responsibility, especially in a world where you can write a tweet that lives forever and you took what half a second to think about it. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, that's the, you know, that's, that's part of a lot of issues in the world and just, uh, I mean, the state of America as it is, which is, you know, if you talk about the deep social issues of America, it is about, about people protecting a history that they don't even understand that they don't even want to take responsibility for. It's like, like, you don't want to, do you agree with that? You know, do you grieve with the genocide of Native American people? Do you agree with the the enslavement of African people to build this nation? Are you gonna you're gonna stand behind that? Or you are we actually gonna have a real conversation about 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 understanding our histories, talking about our histories, and being honest with ourselves about what what is being done? What are we protecting? Are we protecting ourselves? Or are we hurting other people? Like, or are we you know are we actually ever moving forward if we don't come to terms with our past? feels like sometimes people just don't want to know that you know that it's, it's it's lazy and i think that's that's another reason why i think you know that message of owning something you know of really taking responsibility i think i think it's just that's a pretty pure positive message for me yeah. that's the way i take it yeah yeah no definitely i mean that's that's what it's about man i mean that's what that's what uh i've been aiming for in my music f- for my lyrics for a long time which is actually saying things that i don't want to say you know uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm saying something that I don't want to say, I know that I'm saying the right thing. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's about, it's about pushing forward, um, and claiming, claiming responsibility so that you can, you can face it. I mean, you know, some, I've talked about this interview so much, you know, part of, part of me writing in the songs, these messages that, you know, people think, the messages for them it is but it's also it's written so that i read it so that i hear it so that i so it becomes my mantra um and so that i face up to things and so that i hold on at times you know so i don't uh i don't you know want to disappear um and i tell myself it's going to be okay sam it's been totally fucking awesome yeah thank you so much i think the one thing that fascinates me and i hope that people who listen to this podcast is that, you know, the whole idea of, you know, you weren't trying to get on a label to do someone else's blueprint. You were doing you. And I think that's so empowering. Yeah. For the people that love us, you can appreciate that. And for the people that don't like us, we're going to keep doing what we do. (laughs) Excellent. That is what we do. Excellent. So just to end on, I mean, what, what's your life like now in terms of your routine? What's a normal day? I mean, what's a normal day for you in lockdown like? Um, are you in Sweden right now or you're in, no, you're I'm, in America? I'm, yeah, I'm in Baltimore because I, I came home for... I came home for the album release and the live stream and everything. Um, but uh, but yeah, me and my partner were separated for five months because of the pandemic. And then I was just able to get over there uh, in August for for five and a half weeks. I was there and then I had to come right back. And I was like, oh, my God, I hope I don't. So I, I'm supposed to fly out in a couple of days and I hope that everything goes smoothly. But but when I'm home, like my pandemic days were. You know, I wake up, make a pot of coffee, and then uh, turn on my PlayStation and play FIFA for like twelve hours. Um, Who do you play with? What team do you play? Uh, well, I, I I do the the future uh, the the ultimate team. 
and yeah. uh, just building, um, you know, just getting destroyed by by like thirteen year old kids, you know, <laughs> just just like kids saying the meanest things to me all the time. I'm just like, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying so hard, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely a lot. The first couple months was me trying not to uh look at the situation as it was um so it mm, took some time mm. to be able to be creative again um you know and to start to start opening myself up to to the feelings of what was really happening because it was scary you know not knowing when i was going to see my partner again was uh was a really heavy heavy thing yeah um, i can't i can't even imagine <clears throat> i got really close with two of my roommates um Great. so we we started doing like pasta pasta tuesday which is you know somebody, <laughs> one of us one of us makes a, a homemade pasta you know like hand rolled pasta and then somebody makes this homemade sauce and somebody makes a uh, homemade dessert and that and sounds like it's made with love <clears throat> yeah those those were really and we and we still do it. I mean, we did it last week. We made three lasagnas. Like everybody made their own lasagna. It was intense. It was that is intense. a good night. Yeah, that is that's got to be a good night. Just three lasagnas Garfield. Just three Garfields hanging out. <laughs> just chucking zag. Yeah. Amazing. You mentioned just briefly earlier. I mean, now 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 the record's out. You can think about the next thing. Is is that true? I mean, we're literally recording this four days on from, from the record release. Yeah. And I mean, there's already a couple songs. There's already a couple songs that were written in the last few months. Um, but I've got like a folder of 12 or 11 tracks that the guys have sent me over the last uh, six, seven months. And I just started digging into them yesterday, uh, very mindfully and thinking about what I, you know, what I can do here and what I can do there. So, so I'm, I'm always excited to get to get a record out of the system because it goes from being our record that we work really hard on to being your record. You know what I mean? It's like mm, once mm. the record is out, then it's, then it can't be taken back. Um, and so it just lives, it lives on in other people's lives and we, we move forward and we start yeah. writing, uh, writing these feelings. Cause what happens is you write, you know, you're writing an album and then when it comes out, some of those songs and those feelings are a year and a half, two years old. Um, maybe even four or five years old sometimes. Um, so it is really, it's like a, it's like a, a, it's a release in more than one way, you know? Um, it's a release of, of that off into the world, you know, the baby, baby goes off to school and then, uh, and then you start, uh, you start working on the next one and working through these feelings, you know, cause we yeah. haven't even really touched on the pandemic as a feeling. Um, I haven't written I've only written one song about those emotions and that was really only uh, three months ago, but that song is really good. You know, you, I mean, it's not on this record, you know, it's, it's only, it's in the demos on my computer, but it's really good. Um, but so, so that, that's, that's exciting for me. Um, just opening up creatively again. Brilliant. Well, Sam, I can't wait to hear that, hear, hear that banger that you got in your folder. Oh yeah. I know you can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I'm so excited to sit with this one that's just come out, you know, so much time, so much time to sit with a record. Yeah. It's so much time. Hopefully people take, hopefully people take a few days or a week at least. Like we spent a couple years on it. So give us that. Give us that. Excellent. All right, Sam, awesome. thank you so much, man. Yeah. Giles, it was a pleasure. Thank you. So that was Samuel T. Herring. If you enjoyed the show, please share it far and wide. It's the most helpful thing you can do for this podcast while I'm trying to hack the mainframe. Nice one. Here's Cox Barra showing you the way out. I've been working all day, got me mate on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day, got me mate. Every blink of me, I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler.
This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.